going to have to call you in. Uh, good morning to you all and welcome to the street. What a lovely day it is outside. And for some of you, you'll be looking up here and thinking, who is this girl? <laughs> because I hail from the mysterious world of the 6 p.m. service, and I get the joy of sharing with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm stoked to be here, to be honest. Uh, I got the joy of sharing in the 9 a.m. It was a really special service. I'm excited for what this morning holds for us as well. And I thought, because you don't really know much about me, I might introduce myself so that you have a bit of context. My name is on the screen. Uh, I am Daniela Danny Roach. Uh, Four months ago, I was Daniela Schroeder. I recently got married. And um, I'm thankful for this church community for a lot of things. I've been here for seven years and Love this place, but one of the things I am most thankful for is that it was here that I did meet my wonderful husband, Dave. Uh, We met leading at the Massive together, Uh, so I was involved in the youth leadership team there for about four and a half years, and so while this morning was quite early for me, a normal 6 p.m. servicer, I have a lot of heart and sympathy for the Massive leaders who are currently on Massive Camp and will be much more sleep-deprived than all of us, so shout out to them. Uh, The reason I tell you a bit about myself and mention that I recently got married is that um, as part of newlywed life, uh, we have set up our first home out in a little beach bungalow in Titahi Bay in Porirua. And uh, it's great fun, but it's also a lot of responsibility. We are responsible for the jobs. (laughs) No one told me that. And uh, we're doing really well. We're actually doing really well. I'm really proud of us. Um, But... uh, There is one thing that we have let slip, Um, and got to remember last week's message, right? Last week, do not judge. (laughs) Loving each other this morning. So we're tenants, and in our tenancy agreement, we agreed to keep our yard weeded and our garden looked after. And um, I'm a lawyer in my day job, and I know that when you sign an agreement, you have to uphold your end of the deal. And I'm naughty, Dave's naughty, because we haven't done that in this regard. Um, Like I said, don't judge, this is our garden. (laughs) There it is. Oh, the shadow's quite convenient. You can't quite see all the weeds under there. It's overgrown. The ratio of weeds to non-weeds is unbalanced in the wrong direction. We've not taken good care of it at all. And I guess you could say we need a serious horticulture lesson. We aren't very good at it. We've got a lot of work to do. In today's passage, there is a segue. We reach a part in Jesus' sermon on the plain that we've been exploring over the last few weeks where he gives us a horticulture lesson. Specifically, he talks about how to grow good trees, good fruit trees. But his purpose is not to challenge the listeners to go away and check on the condition of their backyard. His purpose is to challenge the listeners to go away and check on the condition of their hearts. I guess you could say instead of horticulture, it's horticulture. The same challenge is set before us this morning. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got an app on some form of technological device, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45. It's also going to come up on the screen. Let me read this for us today. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. 
On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For where his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. My hope and prayer for this morning is that we would all, by the kind and gentle prodding of the Holy Spirit, be stirred to examine the condition of our hearts, be stirred to think about what kind of fruit we are producing so that we may bring glory to him through the fruit we bear in our lives. Can I pray? Would you join with me? God, I thank you that you have a word for us right now. I thank you that even though these words were spoken by Jesus on a plane thousands of years ago, there is truth in them for us today. And that you are not irrelevant. If anything, you are so relevant to our lives, to our daily lives, God. And so we just invite your Holy Spirit right now. I invite your Holy Spirit. Please speak. Please meet us. Please guide us and challenge us so that we may look more like you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we have to remember what has just gone on before this little passage in order to fully understand why Jesus says these words and and what exactly he's trying to challenge the crowds about. So looking where we've come from helps to inform how we and what we take away this morning. And those of you who have been here will know that the context of this is that Jesus has been teaching this big and diverse crowd about some really countercultural ideas. The first week we dived into this, we learned about what it looks like to truly be blessed, what success is for the Christian. Uh, in the second week, we looked at loving our enemies. That one was hard hitting. The idea that we have to love our enemies and we can't expect things back in return when we love in that way. And then just last week, the message was on do not judge. Do not condemn, but instead forgive and give. And the last bit of last week's message was the bit about the planks in the eye. Do you guys remember that? The, the, the passage talks about Jesus. Jesus says not to focus on the speck in someone else's eye, but to look at the plank in your own. Basically, Jesus was saying to the crowd, don't be looking around thinking this must be directed at you because it's directed at you. With this in mind, we need to remember that this is the context, this is the, this is the reason Jesus has for speaking these next words. A, a, fra- a quote I read on this was really helped me to understand this. This guy says, Jesus knows that, the most, that most of us have a big problem seeing the planks in our own eyes. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45, Jesus provides a way to help each of us see our own sin. This is not a way for you to notice the sin in others. It's a way for you to see the sin in yourself. So we've got to keep that in mind as we read this morning. So verse 43, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. As far as groundbreaking revelations go, this would not be up there, would it? It seems quite obvious, kind of like a statement of fact, almost. Like, of course, we get that, Jesus. If we think it seems obvious, it would have been even more obvious 
for the crowds who would have lived and, and worked in horticulture, in agriculture, in subsistence living. It would have been a familiar thing for them. It's kind of like, Jesus, you're stating the obvious here. But I think that almost might be the whole point. That they can't dispute this. That a good tree will not produce bad fruit. A bad tree will not produce good fruit. And it's interesting to know what these words, good, this word good and this word bad, they translate to when you look into the original translation. I think it helps to convey the meaning a little bit uh, more in a more in-depth way. Good is this word kalos. And it translates into beautiful, genuine, excellent in nature and characteristic. Whereas bad is this word sapros, translates as rotten, purified, putrefied, of poor quality, bad and unfit for use. Jesus is saying here that a tree that is beautiful and genuine does not produce rotten and putrefied fruit. And a tree that is rotten and putrefied does not produce beautiful and genuine fruit. I'm going to just put a picture up on the slides. Who here would purposely plant a tree in the hope that they would produce that fruit there on the left? I don't think anyone would. The purpose of planting a tree would be so we could get those luscious red apples. In the same way that no one intends to plant a tree that will produce bad fruit. We don't intend to produce bad fruit with our lives, but sometimes we do. But the way that we don't and the way that we fight against that is conveyed in this passage. It's through making sure we are good trees. We got that this morning? The way to have good fruit is making sure we have a good tree. And then we move into verse 44 where Jesus says, For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. What he's saying here is that fruit is either good or bad for a tree's reputation. Good fruit will mean the tree is known as being good. Bad fruit will mean the tree is known as being bad. The fruit paints a picture of the characteristics of the kind of tree it has come from. There's a word I want to pick up on in this passage. I just want to talk about it a bit more this morning, and it's that word own. For each tree is known by its own fruit. This is picking up on what I mentioned earlier, that this message, this passage, is about self-reflection, what's going on in my own life. But I think something else we can pick up from this phrase is that if a tree is known by its own fruit, and we know what a tree is known by, this also reveals what a tree is not known by. And a tree is not known by the fruit on the trees around it. And this really challenged me this week. Because being surrounded by healthy trees, thriving trees that are producing sweet and beautiful and good fruit, that doesn't automatically make you a good tree doesn't automatically mean you will produce good fruit. Sure, it will help. Surrounding yourself with good, healthy, uninfected trees will mean you're more protected from infection and, you know, becoming a bad tree, but it won't make you a good tree and it won't make your fruit automatically good fruit. It's not enough just to put yourself in a good orchard. 
We are each individually responsible for and recognized by our own fruit, our own fruit, not the fruit of our friends, of our family, of our kids, our spouse, our life group, our church, but our own fruit. Then there's the bit about the figs and the grapes. And I think what he's, he's just reinforcing this idea of what a tree is known for. Like you wouldn't go looking in a thorn bush if you were looking for figs. You wouldn't go looking in a bramble if you were looking for grapes. And I think what we're about to continue to learn about this morning is that if you haven't picked up on it already, Jesus is actually using all of this as a metaphor. And the metaphor is fruit is a metaphor for our words and trees are a metaphor for our hearts. And so in the same way that you wouldn't go looking for sweet, beautiful fruit in a thorny place, People won't go searching for sweet, encouraging, life-giving words in a thorny person. But man, some of us can be thorny sometimes. I can be. Just a bit sharp, prickly, hard to be around. I got this idea of even like defensive, you know, like a thorn, like putting my defenses out. But do I want, I want to be someone who people know they can come to and receive sweet, life-giving fruit? but I can't be that if I'm thorny. There's a challenge in that for us today. And then we get to verse 45. This is the verse that turns from being about horticulture to being about horticulture. It says, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Like I said, this is a metaphor. Fruit for words, trees for our hearts. And remember earlier when we talked about how the best way to guarantee good fruit is by having a good tree? The best way to guarantee good words is by having a good heart. Seems simple, right? But oh, it's tough. Because how do we do that? And I think in verse 45, we, we, we get help with how to do that. It, this phrase, storing up, stored up in the hearts. It's what's stored up in our hearts that will prompt and lead what comes out of our mouths. And I was thinking about this idea of stored up and thought I'd give you an example about how we can get our heads around this. So think about you're in the kitchen you need to make a meal and it's, maybe it's Sunday night, you haven't managed to get to the supermarket and you just have to throw something together, right? You've got, to find what, you've got to find something to make a meal. So you open the cupboard, you open your fridge, your freezer. Your ability to produce a good meal in this circumstance depends on what you have stored up, doesn't it? If you've got nothing stored up, if it's bare and empty, you won't have anything. You won't produce any meal. If you've got junk stored up, then all you'll be producing is a bad and unhealthy meal. It's nothing that will nourish you, probably won't fill you up, leave you feeling a bit ugh afterwards. But if you have stored up good stuff and it's there ready to be used and called upon, 
you can produce a good meal. Nourishing. Good. Fills you up. What we're able to produce for dinner in that context depends on what we've stored up in our pantry, in our freezer, in our fridge. In the same way, the quality of the words that we are able to produce totally depends on what we've stored up in our hearts. What have you stored up in your heart? It's a question for us this morning. But you might be wondering, why does it even matter? Sure, this principle's good, like, I like what Jesus is saying, but like, for me, why does it really matter? I think the clincher for this is in that final sentence. His mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't say, the mouth might speak from the overflow of the heart? He doesn't say, there's a 99% chance your mouth will speak from the overflow of your heart. You might be in the 1%, so you're fine to take the risk, but it might. No, 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 no. There is no doubt about it. It's a given. Our mouths speak from the overflow of our heart. The Greek word for this phrase, overflow, that was in the original translation, um, translates to um, abundance, in which one delights, that which remains. Gosh, this is challenging. What do we delight in? What do we find joy in? Where do we get our fun from, our entertainment? Is it good? Is it good? Or is it bad for us? Maybe we need to alter what we find delight in because what Jesus says here is that it will fill up your heart. It will remain and it will inform and influence what you say. There's this quote I found by this guy called Thomas Fuller. He was a really moving and shaking man in the 17th century, a scholar, preacher, And he said, when the heart is afire, sparks will fly out of your mouth. I love that image. Kind of dangerous. Not that I like dangerous things. Anyway, um, when the heart is afire, sparks will fly out of your mouth. Man, this challenged me. What's my heart afire with? What's your heart afire with? Does it lead to good sparks or bad sparks? You know how there can be good fire and bad fire? Good fire is the one that on an cold winter's nights in your fireplace and keeps you warm and is good for the soul, but then can be really bad fire too, can't there? Good sparks or bad sparks comes from what your heart's afire with. If we want to produce better words, better fruit, we can't just start with the words themselves. It's pretty clear from this passage that we have to start with the root of where they come from. We have to start with our hearts so, so what do we do? What does that look like? And I thought if Jesus has chosen trees as his metaphor, then there must be some stuff we can learn from the care of trees that will help us with the care of our hearts. So I just Googled fix trees. Um, and I found this website called The Spruce. Um, I probably should watch, read more about it for my own backyard. Maybe I'll go away and do that after this. Very informative. And there's an article called How to Inspect the Health of a Tree. And there are three key tips that they suggested for an actual tree that I think are super applicable to how to inspect the health of our hearts. And I'm going to share them with you this morning. The first is to prune. Each year, prune dead and broken branches as soon as they appear. 
Dead branches left in place provide an invitation for insects and diseases to move in. We need to be quick and ruthless about pruning the dead branches from which bad fruit stems. I was saying this morning in the first service that if I'm being human and honest here, I would say I have a tendency toward um, cynical comments when I'm not checking myself and, and, and gossip and things like that. And I recently had a friend who loved me enough to call me on it. Where'd that come from? She said, when I said a comment that I mean as a joke, so much we say, it's just a joke, it's just a joke. It's actually just rotten fruit. And she loved me enough to call me on it and ask me, challenge me, where did that come from? And at first I was affronted, how dare you? And then I realized that was love because it was a rotten branch and it was producing not so nice fruit. And so I think this pruning idea, yeah, we've got to be quick to prune off the dead bits that we know don't bring life, but we can give people who we love and who we trust permission to do that with us and for us too, to prune off the dead bits. And this idea of how dead and broken branches are an invitation for insects and infection, man, that got me thinking about the enemy and how he prowls, trying to find an in. I'm not prepared to give him an in in my life. So if that means chopping things off that aren't bringing life and aren't bringing good fruit, I'm all about it. It's challenging, but we've got to do it. We've got to prune the dead bits. The second piece of advice on this website was to scratch. Test any suspect branches by scratching the branch with your thumbnail. Living branches will be green underneath. Dead ones will show brown. This idea of reality checking our hearts. Getting serious about what's actually underneath. Maybe it's a loving your enemies issue. Maybe it's a judgmental, condemning spirit issue. Maybe it's a focusing on the speck rather than the plank issue. Once we scratch, we see what's truly there. And the final one is bend. You can also test the branches by gently bending them. Living branches will be supple and bend easily. Dead branches will snap with increased pressure. As I was reading this, I couldn't help but think about that idea of pressure and our words and, and, and social pressure and how certain circumstances, certain contexts, they, they can change how we speak. Maybe it's to fit in, to be accepted. I, I don't know, we, we all find ourselves in different ways in socially pressured situations. And the goodness of our hearts and the goodness of our fruit will will enable us to be able to bend and come back in those contexts. But if it's not healthy and it's not good, we'll snap under pressure and the fruit won't be good. Three tips for inspecting the health of our hearts. Prune, scratch, bend. It's challenging me this morning. So we've got these tips for inspecting our hearts and maybe we do prune, maybe we do scratch, maybe we do bend and we see there's some stuff that needs to change. There's some stuff that needs to be improved. And in the same way that good fruit requires a good tree, a good tree requires a good gardener. A diseased tree can't fix itself, can it? When was the last time you looked at a 
dead tree in your backyard and then came back to it and it was magically fixed. If anything, it probably just gets worse when left, right? It can't fix itself. And in the same way that our back garden won't tidy up itself, we can't just magically expect our hearts to improve without an intervention. You see, once a tree's infected, even just a little bit, it's basically on the path to, to destruction, isn't it? Unless something's done about it. God is our good gardener. He is our good gardener and he works on us. He works with us to get our hearts to a place where they can and do produce beautiful, good fruit. There's another story in the book of Luke that Jesus tells. It's in Luke chapter 13, verse six to nine. And it goes like this. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming back to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down, why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, I'll cut it down then. You see, of the two men in this parable, in this story, God has the heart of the man who fights to give the tree a second chance who fights for the tree's potential to produce. God's the good gardener prepared to do what it takes to improve the condition of our hearts. He's willing to work on us. He desires to work on us so that our fruit may be more sweet. But the thing that's different about God the good gardener and just any old gardener who comes and actually looks at your backyard is that actually, anyway, um, God needs permission to work on our hearts. I'm just thinking, so does a gardener that you're asking to come look at your garden, but we'll just (laughs) stick with this. God needs permission. He won't get to work until we ask him and we allow him and we invite him. So often I think we withhold permission because we know it's gonna hurt. In this parable, what does the guy say? He says, leave it to me until I dig around it and I fertilize it. I think those are the two ways that God, the good gardener, works on our hearts too. The digging around is uncomfortable because it's not just digging around, it's digging around and digging up and tossing away the bad stuff. And that can be really challenging because in our lives, that can look like people who are destructive to our growth and our health. It can look like entertainment, Habits, hobbies, God digging around and tossing them away can be uncomfortable because it means we have to go without things we've got used to. But it's key to the health of a tree. It's key to the health of our hearts. And the second thing he says is he'll fertilize it. And this picture just brought me so much joy and hope this week as I was preparing this idea of God fertilizing our hearts. Because I think of the fertilizers we have available to us that help to bring life out of us. And I think of his word, scriptures. I think of prayer and fellowship and worship. These are fertilizers for our hearts, for our souls. They bring out the good stuff in us. And God wants to fertilize our hearts so that we may bear better fruit. Because he's the good gardener. Can I just ask the band to come on up?
We're going to close, um, close our service with some worship today, some fertilization. Um, but our fruit, our words, they, they matter. Can I tell you this morning that they matter? And they matter because, do you know in John 15 verse 8, Jesus says that when we bear good fruit, we are two, two things happen. One, we're revealed as Christ's disciples. And two, we glorify God. That's why it matters. We can't just hear this, think, oh, that's nice, and go on with our merry lives. This really matters. Good fruit, good words, they can't grow unless they're connected to a good tree, a good heart. But a good tree and good hearts can't exist unless they're tended to and cared for and loved and worked on by a good gardener. God's our good gardener. He loves working with and working on us, but we need to let him do it. You know, he's an expert. He's an absolute expert at bringing diseased things back to life. Are you prepared to let him do that in you? Can I please invite you to stand? Just before we sing this song, or this worship song of response, I just want to share three scriptures that as I was thinking about this, I just was reading these and they just really sealed this for me. And I'd love to speak them, I'd love to pray, and then I'd love us to worship. The first is John 15 verse 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. These are, this is Jesus speaking. If you remain in me and I in you, listen to the guarantee here, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. <coughs> Ezekiel 36, 26, I love this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. That I just love that picture. It's a guarantee of a new heart when we accept it and we ask for it and a removal of the old one. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone accepts the good news that Jesus died on the cross for their sin so that they didn't have to be separated from God, they could have eternal life, that good news that we celebrated with communion. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. He is the expert gardener. And he has good things for us. And he believes in our potential to bear great, wonderful, sweet, delicious fruit. But we can't just do it on our own. We totally, we just need him. And our fruit is how we're known. It's how we're known. So that's another reason why this really does matter. So I'd love to close in prayer. And then I'd love just for us as we worship, maybe, for you, maybe it's the challenge this morning is the permission. I give you permission to get to work. Can I pray? Father God, I thank you that you're the good gardener. Thank you, Jesus, you're the vine. The promise that when we remain in you, when we remain connected to you, wow, we bear good fruit. And there's such a challenge in this passage today, God, because it causes us to examine ourselves and be open to your work. 
my prayer this morning as we, as we worship together and as we go out of this building is that your spirit will prompt us to want that and just long for your intervention so that our words may be sweet and life-giving. They may point to you. They may cause people to think, what's different about that person? God, we need you so, 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 so much. And we thank you that in your word we find your promises we find your truth. Thank you for this morning. In your powerful name I pray. Amen. Let's worship.